Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Raina, welcome to the High-Tech Freedom Sales Podcast. How are you doing this morning? I am doing awesome, Chris. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So we've never met before, and we chatted just a little bit before this, uh, before I hit the record button, but I've been, uh, I've done some research on you, and uh, I've got your book here, and I was checking it out, Sales Essentials. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I think you're doing some great work out there. But uh, as a way of getting started, uh, can you just share a little bit about yourself? Sure, sure. My name is Raina Salman. I am the CEO of Salman Consulting. I've been in sales and sales consulting for close to 20 years now. And I work with, we work with medium to large organizations and also IT organizations uh, to help their sales team elevate their performance. And that's done through strategy, but also through the execution piece, the content, the tools, uh, and the training. I'm a seller at heart, Chris. I've been selling. I love to sell. And so when I'm in front of uh, sellers, uh, there's a lot of goodness that comes out in sharing best practices, but also lessons learned, I think, are failures as well. Absolutely. And when you are running your own business, you're an entrepreneur, small small business like uh, like what you have, you are the chief sales officer, no doubt about it, right? So you're doing what you teach every day. Absolutely. We practice what we preach. We, um, we do not uh, teach anything that we haven't tried and seen that it worked or what why it didn't work. And then we dissect it and come back with answers for our uh, customers. So just a level set, is your training um, do you do one-on-one training or is it group training where companies bring you in? Great question. So it is mostly group training. And then there's also the reinforcement piece, which is the coaching piece, right? If we look at that sales process, I do believe that the early parts of the sales process are critical. So I truly focus on, okay, how do we make sure that we are doing our pre-calling? We are prospecting effectively. We are qualifying those opportunities. We're customizing the solution to what is relevant to our buyer personas. How do we deliver that? demo? And how do we take that deal to a close and not miss certain important areas, best practices that we need to do to get us to that close win or to qualify out quickly, which is as important? Yeah. Well, I love that uh, you you brought the point about coming back and doing some of the reinforcement training and follow-up because I've been through a lot of training over the years and with different companies that I've worked for. And you know, I'm probably similar to a lot of salespeople. I get really excited. Right. And I get excited and I run out and start making some adjustments to my process, how I do things. But, um, but then there's never any reinforcement. I mean, I've joked with my friends about how much money is spent on training that nobody ever follows up in the management, the leadership don't actually work it into some of their inspection and discussions about how they look at deals and process. Great. I mean, great point, right? And this is where it's really important to engage with the first line sales managers to make them part of that training, to make them part of that call to action for us to all hold each other accountable, to have these success measures of what success, realistically, what success looks like. And frankly, when I wrote my book, 
the goal of the book is to be reinforcement. Is for me when a rep is is meeting a a a person, a buyer, a prospect for discovery, to go to that chapter to look at that discovery a chapter and remind themselves of these best practices and put it aside. At the end of the day, to change behavior, I got to apply it and it got to become a habit. And that's where reinforcement comes in, right? Yeah. Well, so uh, let's talk about your book for a second. So Sales Essentials, and I believe it's uh, McGraw-Hill has a series of books called Essentials, and you're, you have the, the Sales Essential one there. Tell, can you just kind of provide a little bit of introduction about what the book's about? Yes, yes. So when I wanted to write the book, look, I've been selling for a while. And one of the challenges that we see in sales is truly finding the information that I need at the right time. It's not about reading this 300-page book at one time and putting it aside. It's about finding the essential, the must-have that I need, where I'm at in my deal. And so I looked at it from an essential standpoint. What do I need in order to close that deal? And it goes through a process, right? When you think about selling enterprise deals, and I, and your your callers are going to relate to that, it's not just what we do during the call. It's what we do before the call. It's what we do after the call. And so I wanted to go into these details in terms of, okay, what are we doing before the goal, goal uh, for the call? Are we building uh, our social brand? Are we leveraging social selling? Are we prospecting? Do we know our product and the value it provides our customers? Do we know our customers or buyer personas? Are we preparing for these calls? And what are some efficient ways to prepare for these calls? So that's kind of like before the call. But what about during the, those calls that you're having with the customers? How are you forming that first impression? I mean, we go into the details, Chris, and we go in because I'm a researcher and a big nerd. I went and looked at a lot of other research outside of sales and brought it in. And you'll see that in the in the notes section where there's a lot of resources uh, outlined because we wanted to know, okay, how do we form a favorable first impression when we're meeting someone for the first time? What does the data show us? Uh, how do we conduct a discovery conversation where it is focused on the customer and outside in perspective? What are the tools that a rep needs in order to conduct qualify in or qualify out quickly? Uh, what happens when when you go into the demo area? How do you ensure that your SE is enabled to align that demo to business outcomes instead of show up and throw up all of the features, uh, all, all, all about the features and functions? And then how do you close that deal? How do you write a proposal? How do you deliver that proposal? And then once you get that deal closed, what happens after? How are you ensuring as a rep, because you are the orchestrator, you're the one that is managing all that relationship. How are you seamlessly handing off that, that deal to your colleagues to ensure that they're successful, to ensure that we're meeting uh, what we promised our customer to do? How are we involved in the expansion strategies? How are we debriefing these, uh, these deals, the wins and the losses? Um, and so it, it looks at the whole area of how to approach a deal and a complex deal. Um, and it also divides it into specific things that we need to do. And, and I also wanted to talk about, so then after that, we also talk about rejection. Like there's two chapters, the last chapters, I want it to be really authentic. Sales is not easy. You've been doing enterprise deals for a while, Chris, you know that there's many decision makers involved, and now they're all around the world. And you're doing this mostly through a virtual approach, maybe few meetings in person. So the traditional way of selling is totally different. And there is an impact on, on our mental health. We're not careful, right? So I talk about rejection. I talk about the research behind rejection. I talk also about the mental health challenges that our industry is facing. I wasn't aware of that because I'm a workaholic like many of us. And I just kept going and going and going. And then I started looking at the data and I was like, oh my gosh, 
there is a challenge here in our in our industry for not taking care of our people. Yeah, totally. Well, so that's a lot of information. And <laughs> but what you just outlined really is the full kind of sales cycle or the full sales process. And so one thing that I that I picked up on when I was looking at the book is you have a section in there. I think it's like section two, chapter two, or part two, actually. It's the sales self-assessment. And there's like 20 um, questions that you can ask yourself and then give yourself a score. I think it's one to 10 and then a score, maximum score, one to five and a maximum score of 100. And if you look at each one of those, it is really a portion of that sales process that the book then goes into. You know, it's at first when I was looking at it, it was like, well, you know, this seems kind of like some basic stuff, but it's the essentials of selling. And, and we don't need to overcomplicate the profession. It's taken some of these essentials that sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, sometimes you forget about going back and doing them really, really well. And we talk a lot about sales process here on the High Tech Freedom Sales Podcast. And I think if you took these 20 questions, self-assessed yourself, it's the framework for your own personal sales process. And you can... Take whatever path you want, but you know if you developed a few bullets on each one of these around how do you actually execute around this, it's right there laid out in a great way. Absolutely. I mean, you, you hit it right. Why overcomplicate? Why do I need to use jargons? And why do I need, when I'm trying to influence a behavior, when I'm trying to connect with a human to build that trust? And so, yes, the essentials are essential fundamentals. But if you think about, if I don't have those fundamentals, every all of these, these tools that I have, I'm not going to be able to be effective. It's almost like the framework, the blueprint of a house. I need to have that framework. And we truly need to go back to the essentials. Because at the end of the day, if you think about AI and everything that's happening with tools that we're getting, while they're awesome, right? They're making our life efficient. The one thing that they cannot do up till now is the human connection. And the essentials is about we can't take the human element out of the equation, especially with enterprise deals, because guess what? People are making decisions to spend multi-million dollars deals with us, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I just recently had a couple episodes, a couple solo episodes that I did on the podcast. One was around um, finding uh, personal pain. And the other one was around latent pain versus real pain and kind of bridging that gap. You know, how do you find that latent pain? But then how do you bridge the gap to make it more real pain and help the customer understand that? And then on the personal pain front, you can't get to personal pain without getting human to human, right? You can't sit in a conference room with 40 people or that might be too large, but let's say a group of five to 10 people and understand the individual motivators of each person. And so, um, you know, that's a skill. Um, and that that is the foundation for how you can effectively then go execute kind of your company's sales process and really position the product. Right. And, and people can really, a human being have the tendency to really spot on identify inauthenticity and fakeness. And so how are you actually selling with, in, with intent and there's curiosity in there and your intent is to help your customers, right? We all want to make money. We all want to close deals. But at the end of the day, our customers don't care about our quota. They don't care about our product. They care. How are you going to help me? And if you are in the sales profession just for the money, you're going to burn out. You're going to burn out really quickly. It's really about serving and being very intensely curious to find solutions to complex problems. Love it. Well, so Raina, you uh, you talk to a lot of salespeople, and um, so a lot of my listeners they're they're tech salespeople, tech sales managers, and a lot of your work has been in that industry. When you think about some of the the top reps, the top ten percent of reps that you've worked with, what sets them apart from the rest of the pack? 
Yeah, very interesting. They're they're curious, right? They they're intensely curious to find solutions to problems. Um, they are hardworking in terms of they prepare. Uh, they are thinking proactively, thinking and connecting the dots and looking for clues. And what's really interesting, I, I read a research around it and I thought, no, it can't happen. But then I started reflecting on top performers and also on myself of how I approach a deal. What Harvard Business Review identified is top performing sales reps are also internally pessimistic, which is so interesting because we are in a way of we're always thinking of what can go wrong in our deal and how can we prevent it. And yes. so you see that you see these folks that are not taking it where they're good and they're awesome and they have this arrogancy around it. There's a true humbleness and also can also thinking about, wow, what can what can go wrong? What can go wrong? And also there's integrity, right? Um, it, I know sometimes we, we were running about this deal. We got to close because we got to meet their quota. But when you meet folks that are really good in sales, they've developed trust with their customers and they have that integrity of doing the right thing. And if it doesn't work out right now, they know that this is going to come back because they did the right thing for their customers. And I know that may sound like, well, what, but we want to close deals. Uh, but there's there's something about building trust and building that reputation where you you can tell your prospect, hey, you may not need this right now, or you don't need the whole thing. What you need right now is this, right? And collaborating with them on a solution. Yeah. I love the the point about what can go wrong because in, well, you know, in, <laughs> because you know, the reality is, right, you, you're working with an account, you're working with your contacts, you're, you're maybe not in there every single day. And as soon as you think you have it figured out, that's always when the customer proves you wrong, right? And things change and their business changes. Something happens, a new leadership, a new manager, somebody quits, somebody gets fired, somebody gets hired, whatever. Um, I worked with this rep who uh, actually was a guest on the podcast in the early days. He was so consistent. Every single meeting that he would have, he would always check to ask, hey, anything, you know, what's changed? Anything new? Um, is this still the problem that we're solving? Are we still solving the right problem? And the time I do, I did a lot of ride-alongs with him because he happened to be local. And I was always surprised at the number of times where the customer would say, well, yeah, by the way, versus if he hadn't really clearly asked that question, he could have been 50, 30 minutes into a sales meeting going down the wrong path, not knowing that the, the playing field's changed a little bit. I love it. I love, I just love, love, love what you just said, because especially in the world we live in today, there's so much uncertainties. You have your executive sponsor here one day and laid off the next day, and then you're left with, okay, what, what, what can you know, what, what do we do by continuously staying close to your customers and asking these questions and also some sorry, summarizing what they told you. One of the best practices that we talk about in the book is the importance of follow-up, right? And I train on follow-up because what happens after the call is what determines how the deal is going to progress. And part of that follow-up is to summarize what your customers told you, what that prospect told you to show that you're actively listening, but also to make sure that you're not misinterpreting anything. And then you come back, Chris, like you mentioned in that meeting, that follow-up meeting, you pull up those notes and you say, hey, based on what we talked about, has anything changed? And man, you're right. What happens is that you just sit and then they tell you. People want to tell you. People want to be listened to. Our customers are 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 open to for us to ask questions, but not not questions that we couldn't have found in the research, right? Especially when you start selling to executives, 
Um, you can disqualify yourself really quickly by the type of questions you ask because it can show that you didn't prepare, right? If you're not looking at their LinkedIn profile, if you're not looking at their earnings call transcript, if you're not looking at certain information, uh, they're going to quickly recognize, man, this person did not prepare. And they're asking kind of silly questions. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So much good information there. Before we jump into the topic, I wanted to let you know that we just launched a monthly drawing for one of our insulated high-tech freedom tumblers. Now, I've been sending these out as a thank you gift to each of our guests, and the response has been great. You know, everyone has a full-size coffee cup, a Yeti, or whatever brand that they might use, but not everybody has the small tumbler that you can put your wine or beverage of choice in. They're great for the deck beach camping or just you know just keeping your drink warm or cold now, i'm not selling these but i am excited about them so we decided to offer these up to the loyal podcast listeners by doing a monthly drawing so if you're interested go to hightechfreedom.com forward slash mug that's m-u-g and you'll see a picture of the tumbler and you can enter we'll just collect your name phone number and email and if you do win we'll then follow up and ask for your mailing address so we know where to send it if you don't win, your name stays in, so you don't need to re-enter. The um, one of the things that's always frustrated me a little bit with is you know follow up, and sometimes just the lack of follow up, or the follow up that's a follow up more just promoting what it is that you wanted to promote versus recapping what the customer said. I mean, you can tie that in, but. You know, that best follow-up is, hey, the customers, they're not going to read your follow-up and they're not going to respond if it starts off with, hey, here are all the great things that we do. That's It's going in the trash, right? But when you recap what they said, and it's like, all right, by the way, we talked about solving it with these things. Please, you know, keep me honest. Let me know if I missed anything. Right. Um, is there anything I left out? The number of times when you do that, the number of times I've seen reps get a response way higher than kind of the generic follow-up. Yes. And the best thing is when they tell you, you missed something or they highlight yeah. things in red where they're like, oh no, Rainy, you got to switch this around. That tells me that they're engaged. That tells me that, that they are, they wanting me to know the right information because they want to continue that conversation. And it's also used as a way to also, um, if the deal goes, you know, goes cold a little bit and you come back to it, it's a way to look back at that and re-engage with them where you left off. Um, I think at the end of the day, like you said, it's about uh, people want to know that you, you, you are listening to them, that you are, that it's about them, not us, and that it, they are the center of our universe. And they are, they're paying our bills. They're helping us also raise our family. Like there is a lot of, of, of goodness in taking care of our customers, right? Um, and, and, and it helps grow our business. So there's a win-win for both. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, shifting gears a little bit. So you talked about, um, you know, you mentioned something about layoffs and uh, you know, there's been a number of layoffs and, and generally just so much change in the tech sales world. And let's just say we go into a downturn. As a sales professional, what could a, a sales rep be doing now to better insulate themselves, better protect themselves, or just be better prepared in case things change? Yeah, I think number one, self-awareness, like take time to look at your strengths, your superpowers, and are you using those superpowers? Um, second thing, look at your blind spot and are they becoming a liability? Because that's when they're evaluating who they're going to lay off. They're looking at all of that, right? 
Um, and also look at your performance. You've got to perform, right? And identify if you're not performing, why am I not performing? The second thing is you got to build your internal network and you got to make sure that you're connected and that you're, you're also having the brand or the reputation of someone that is reliable, that someone that has integrity, that someone that is a team player. Um, and also I would say prospect, man, prospect, prospect, you got to build a pipeline and it could be where you are expanding within these existing accounts, you're collaborating with your customers or you are landing new logos. Uh, if you are not prospecting regularly, your pipeline is going to dry out. And I always tell salespeople, no matter if you work for a large organization with a big marketing department or a small startup, you are in control of your destiny. And you need to make sure that you are making that time to, to prospect. Does that does that help? <laughs> it does. Well, so let's talk about prospecting for a moment or, or pipeline in general. Um, what's working? I think what's working today is one leadership um, and making making it a priority for for sellers to um, to to be prospecting, training them on ways to prospecting, and not just by using one channel, but leveraging multiple channels like social, uh, like even a cold email and cold callings. If you do it right, and if you bring in all that together, and you bring in the referrals, that's where you're building that engine. And also what we're seeing is, is that there's a lot of focus on expanding within existing accounts because the trust is already formed, right? What, what research shows us is that your buyers will, if they trust you, they will buy more from you. They will refer you to people within their organizations or outside their organization. Uh, as well as they will buy from you, even your price, even if your price is higher. And it's much easier to sell to existing customers than new ones. And it's much more expensive to sell to new ones rather than existing ones. So we see a focus on expanding with an existing account and also using our network to actually expand and land new logos. I always talk about the path of least resistance. Look at the path of least resistance. And that is where there is some familiarity and there is some trust already formed. And I'm also also seeing with sales leaders, uh, they're making it a discipline for their reps to actually block time to prospect and, and make it a part of that sales process uh, and training them on it. You can't expect people to deliver if they haven't been trained on what does good looks like. Right. And also hiring the right people. Right. You got to hire the right people. You got to hire folks if, 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 if that are hungry, that are humble, that are smart, that are not too good to be actually picking up the call, picking up the phone and calling, sending emails, using their network. Uh, they're hungry to win. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, and I see it all the time. Well, Raina, so, you know, outside of, uh, you know, your sales training and working with sales professionals. Um, I understand that you have a um, kind of a networking group for women sales professionals. Yeah. So we co-founded four ladies in Austin, Texas. I was a co-founder of a networking group called WISE, Women in Sales Enablement. And uh, it brings uh, enablement, women in, in sales enablement around the world together. We have, I think, about 24, 25 chapters worldwide. And wow. every every chapter has a chapter lead and it's community based. It's community grown. And we meet and we talk. And through COVID, we actually adapted just like everyone else. And we did a lot of Zooms. Now we're going back to them in person. Uh, and it's a place to learn and to grow and to celebrate one another and to work with our allies. It's it's awesome. What uh, I mean, what drove you to get involved in that? It was an accident, to be honest. I uh, We went out for women in sales enablement. And usually in most organizations that are either medium or small, uh, they only have maybe one enablement leader. And so that person is alone trying to figure it out. 
And uh, so we were four folks, four women coming together and we had a nice dinner and we had nice cocktail and we started talking and having fun. And the next day we emailed each other and we said, Hey, this was really fun. Let's, uh, let's do another one and let's bring a friend. And we started bringing friends and um, we started posting on LinkedIn, happy pictures. Actually, people are excited about networking and it started getting the attention from other women in the community. Um, and suddenly we were getting emails. Hey, can we can we open WISE in our community? And we said, of course, WISE is a community-based platform. I love it. I love it. And so somebody was interested in checking that out. Where would they go? Yeah, there's a website. There's a WISE website. There's also a WISE LinkedIn group and um, and you'll find us. <laughs> okay. All right. And we'll have your LinkedIn link in the show notes. And so you're, that's definitely visible on, on your LinkedIn profile. So one, one more question, Raina. You mentioned something about Zoom. And uh, you know, I think a lot of reps right now are struggling between the virtual selling, the in-person selling. They're trying to get more out in the field. You know, things are going to be different for a long time. And, you know, whether or not we like it, you know, I prefer my reps are out in the field every single day, but there's going to be a lot of virtual selling. So if that's going to be a fact, what do reps need to be doing to up level how they virtually sell? Yeah. I mean, we talked about, I talk about that in our approach is that at the end of the day, the traditional way of selling, like you mentioned, is not coming back. We see from McKinsey and research that uh, our customers prefer the remote human interaction. And so how do we up-level ourselves? Well, we have to be, we have to put in the time to do some, some up-leveling of our skills, including uh, how do I establish presence in a call, right? How do I integrate visuals in a call? How do I integrate storytelling? How do I engage my audience? Sometimes you end up having 10 people in a virtual call and then someone sneaks in. Well, how do I make sure that I'm engaging the audience and really running an effective discovery call? How am I running a demo um, as I'm as I'm conducting a virtual call? And also, how am I also integrating the right time to be in person, right? Uh, because also we can't take away the in-person impact that we have, right? When you're in front of a person, you build better connections. And so how can I make sure that I'm using that hybrid approach in an effective way? Yeah. And do you feel that it takes actually more preparation to engage virtually than it does for an in-person meeting? I think, yeah, I think, yeah, because there's, there's, you know, the body language, you don't see the whole me when I'm in front of you. When I'm in front of you, there's more of, I can read the room better. I can pivot really quickly. And when you're on a virtual call, you got to be able to prepare for different scenarios. And you got to also, there's some senses that are not there, right? And so I I do believe there is more preparation. I do believe that we still need to take have our webcam on. Uh, I know there's a lot of Zoom fatigue going on, but I would highly recommend for the reps that are listening and that are watching us that prioritize your customer calls and turn that webcam on because that's how you can see that human. That's how you can connect with them. That's how they can see you. I mean, when they see how passionate you are to help them solve a problem, uh, that is more effective than just just our voice, where we're just you're just hearing my voice and I'm not seeing you, and you may be multitasking right now if I don't see you. So there's a lot lot of goodness into uh, turning that webcam on, and I know there is a lot of fatigue going on, but that's the importance of prioritization. Yeah, well, Raina, as I told you earlier, I'm definitely fidgeting right now. So, <laughs> yeah, but you can't see it. I'm too. So um, we're the same. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I've taken a few uh, training courses over the years. And in fact, I recently took one on hiring and, you know, and they were all virtual. 
And, you know, nowadays, kind of the virtual training, they do such a great yes. job engaging and breakouts and chats and polls. You know, if we took 50 or 30% of what they did, because these people are doing it every day, and work that into your virtual sales call, I mean, imagine how much more engaging it would be. I think it'd be a good topic for a follow-up episode. I think I, I made I a note too. on I, I do too. I, I, you know, I've done so many virtual training since COVID, and it's still very strong in our business. And yeah, it is like you're having... Uh, a party. Like you got to engage people. You got to make sure that they are excited to be there. You, you got to bring them into that conversation and be, make them part of that, that conversation. And that's what, when you do a virtual sales call, you want to bring those folks and be, make them part of the conversation. You're not standing there lecturing your, your customers. And, and sometimes I think in a virtual call, it's very easy for us to forget that there's a human sitting there bored or just wondering what the heck are you talking about because they're not engaged. <laughs> well, Raina, I um, totally agree. I um, really enjoyed meeting you. Great, uh, great catching up. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, we'll have your LinkedIn connection there. Is there. Are there any other ways that you would like them to, to reach out? You can connect with me through LinkedIn. I'm very, very active there. You can go to salmonconsulting.com. And uh, we also have resources, free resources, free videos for folks that they can use about the fundamentals. Um, and of course, you can look at the book and reach out to me and let me know what you are, what you think, what you think. There are stories in there that I think a lot of us may relate to as, as, as sellers. Sounds good. Well, thank you, Raina. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.